to River Heights. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. And this is River Heights Radio. We're going to be talking about your favorite slip sliding. House hacking. Shard sorting. Glass detective. Glass detective Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew. <laughs> Glass uh, in the <laughs> mystery of the hidden window. Or more aptly named Peacocks, Peacocks Everywhere. The peacock mystery, as they call it in the book. So many occasions. And, like, why not? They're all connected by one common feathery thread. Now, those of you who are familiar with Nancy Drew may remember other mysteries that start with the mailman failing at his job. It seems like Harriet might have uh, done the old copy-paste from uh, Wikipedia articles about her older books. His mail goes blowing everywhere because of those April winds. Yes, we usually have them in March, but here we have them in April. It, and the problem is dirt got in his eye. And, and then, then he, he couldn't see where he was going. And then head. he fell. And then he hit his head. Truly the uh, Rube Goldberg device of human suffering. Well, you know, he is wanting to retire soon. And he has never had a black mark in his record, so this could be a problem for him. Unlike the location being very, like, much of this world, I dislike that time skips around so much. We're used to the fact that the location of River Heights is, what's the word for it? Liquid. And that's okay, you know, because we don't focus on it. But time being amorphous does not work as well, is what you're saying. They set us up for like, oh, a few weeks later, Nancy's in a mystery. And it's like, no, she's not. If it's April now, it's been more than a few weeks. Right. And Our if, last mystery was in the summer? In August. August, yeah. Like in this one, Ned leaves saying, see you at the spring dance. And if I don't see a spring dance in the next mystery, <laughs> I don't know. That just doesn't work for my brain. It's like, you set me up to see something. And they've done that at least once before. I think it was with a fall dance. Maybe it was a spring dance that time too. And they've done it with like, oh, Ned's off of school. And then the next book, he's in school. Or, you know, in this book, they mentioned that Nancy had been friends with Ned for years. Years, yeah. Well, well, we know for a fact she met him when she was 18. She still is. But I would prefer it if she was like 16 at the beginning, doing the simpler cases, establishing her name, and then she just kind of age progressed. Yeah, this whole thing could have been solved by giving her 12 mysteries a year, right? Mm -hmm. And having it go from 16 to 17 to 18. I see, and I would also be okay if they were just not clear about whether or not these mysteries followed one another. Yeah. Maybe I'm just reading about mysteries in various time order. Mm -hmm. But the problem is they always have to say, in in three days, Nancy would be mm. at the, the fancy boat party mystery. And then at the fancy boat party mystery, it's like the, you know, the middle of winter. And they're like, last time in the summer showdown mystery. And you're like, wait, what? Now, you know what's still the most unforgivable thing of the series to me? Help, help me know. When the guy, like, stood up and tap danced that he had another mystery for Nancy. <laughs> 
And that guy never, like, that wasn't who brought the mystery to Nancy the next book. Yeah. The brass trunk mystery. Not only did he not give it to them, the situation was not set up that he could have. And we surmised that she had to have just had two mysteries named the same thing in a row. And we didn't get to see the other one. <laughs> this book, we read the 1970s version, and it's also written by Harriet Adams. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she does some, like, very formulaic things. I talked to you about how I like that she always describes like nancy a lot like her reactions and her reactions Mm -hmm. i honestly like her dialogue better than some of the writers or at least some of the instances of their writing but overall the plot is wanting and like the plots yeah I feel like they were like, the last book was too simple. We missed the mark there. Let's let's kind of add some more layers, hopefully, to this one. But she's also a big fan of, like, in the middle of the book, a huge pivot. Yeah, we so got that in this one. basically reading two books. You know, so often in Nancy Drew books, you find out that all three mysteries were done by the same people. In this one, in a fun way, it's not that they were all done by the same people. It's that the villains did one of them, and the other two had no villains. <laughs> Well, as Mr. Ritter is unconscious in their front yard, Nancy and Hannah decide to do a kind and bring him in. (laughs) Make him some tea. He says, it was mighty careless of me to stumble and knock myself out. Whoopsies. Nancy runs around catching the mail. Not until he tells her that there's something in the mail that she'd be mighty interested in. Now, the last time it was a mysterious letter. For her. Yeah, for her. This time it's her neighbor's magazine. He's like, That's weird. Go ahead and read it. She's like, oh, is there enough time? for hannah to read it too yeah go ahead hannah your grubby little hands all over your neighbor's mail now the problem with this mystery is it really is so far victimless and that's not really nancy's mo so mr ritter presents it as a feather in a cap and not only that, there's a reward for this one. The article in the magazine says that a gentleman in England wants to find a stained glass window that once belonged to his family. It went to America and then disappeared. It looks like a guy with a peacock. Good luck. Yeah, a knight on a horse and then a shield with a peacock. But Hannah knows and wants to know if you know. Some folks think peacocks are bad luck. Surely not you, Hannah. You are above such superstitious things, aren't you? Hannah says, I always taught you not to be superstitious. I love that because Hannah's so superstitious. Mm-hmm. There's another pullback from the last book. Oh, we made Hannah way into that witch stuff. <laughs> like, But then, just then, a bleach blonde sallow mrs donto bursts in angry at mr ritters for dilly-dallying hurry up with my mail she claims there was supposed to be a letter from her brother with a hundred dollars and now it's missing she knew it was in this mailbag because she'd been tracking it on (laughs) fedex.com nancy says do you have any proof and mrs donto says you keep out of this I'll handle the matter in my own way. Yeah. Nancy says, I doubt that you could make any claim. Oh, I'll get proof. She's going to the MF Postmaster. Dinner. Hannah, right now you'll get out of this house. Mrs. Dondo leaves with an angry shrug. You know, one of those shrugs that's very angry. I was wondering about that. (laughs) Yeah. 
You're like the threatening one. Uh, don't worry, though. Togo will find the letter. Togo's really good at sniffing things out. So Nancy gives him a letter to sniff so that he knows what letters are like. Nancy mentions that it is illegal to send cash in the mail. Yeah, so even if she did do it, she's going to be in trouble. Mr. Britter is still worried. Bess wants to know, what's new? Nancy says a couple of mysteries. Bess, as you know, is slightly overweight specifically because of her fondness for rich food. Harriet Adams did go much later on the food was not and so the bad food shaming. Yeah. Hypers, Nancy, you hardly give us time to recover from one mystery before you have another to solve. You had five months. Yeah. Bess's mom has a lot to say about Mrs. Dondo. <laughs> My mom says she left Virginia because of her unpleasantness. She's a social climber, a schemer, and a very unpleasant person. If she's so unpleasant, why did she move here? This neighborhood's full of pleasant people. Bess, George, and Nancy decide to go see for themselves. They visit the Dondo household, where conveniently there is an open window, and they hear quarreling. Now, the previous open window quarrel we heard was pretty vague, but it, like, ended in them getting, like, a police officer and Nancy getting locked in a phone booth. Yeah. But this one, no punishment, no negative outcome, and they get a lot more information. <laughs> it seems that Mrs. Dondo's husband thinks that that was a pretty cheap trick of hers. That good-for-nothing brother of yours, Alonzo, would never send you a hundred dollars. Oh, be quiet. You just don't like him. You bet I don't like him, and for good reason, too. Alonzo's too slick. He sure was kidding you if he said he sent you money. I don't like your brother's business dealings, but I don't think he's stupid. Alonzo wouldn't send that much cash through the mail. Mrs. Dondo would not admit that her husband was right. Maybe that's because her husband was not right, but we're going to assume that she just wouldn't admit it. I like how clear this makes it that Mrs. Dondo's whole there was a hundred dollars in your mail give me a hundred dollars scheme is not just one she's pulling over the U.S. Postal Service's eyes but also her husband's. The three girls looked at one another and smiled. Nancy had never picked up such incriminating information just by accidental eavesdropping. Yeah, usually it's on purpose. But also, like, it's not that incriminating. The difference is how clear it is. Like, they just happened to come in at the right time of this conversation. So now Nancy finally reveals what the mystery is. The three of us are going to hunt for a stained glass window. What? The cousins chorused. Then she goes on to try to convince them to do it, but she She's already said they're going to do it's it. It's happening, guys. George says, Nancy, what will you do with all that money? You may ruin your amateur standing as a detective. <laughs> Yeah, I thought of this on the it. like the very minute they mentioned money. I was like, wait a second. But don't worry. Nancy has a plan. They're going to donate this money to the children's wing of the hospital. And more specifically, that money is just going to be paid to the hospital. It's never going to go to Nancy. Nancy is not getting paid. If you thought she's getting paid, she's not getting paid, okay? She's like, but it can be from you guys too if you help me solve the mystery. Throughout this mystery, there are different people who it seems like might also have a claim on that money like i don't know whoever owns the stained glass 
Boy, Nancy sure is kind of a dick for setting these people up to have to decide whether they get the money or the children's hospital does. <laughs> and it all kind of resolves itself, but it's just so funny. Because that is the thing, is she could have just been like, I won't take the reward. Right, but no, she's like, it's going to the children's hospital. Anyone says different, they're the dick, not me. Bess says, I don't like this peacock business. George chides her, don't tell me you're superstitious about peacocks. Oh, no, 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 Not superstitious, not superstitious. Just don't like it, not superstitious. Bess, you know better than that. But, like, you're clearly, what are you talking about? Bess thinks that the reason the peacock business is a problem is this stained glass window may have gone to many different owners who kept selling it because they kept blaming it for their bad luck. That's true. So it's that, it, a it's, hope diamond of stained glass It's windows. a stretch, but it's true. Just then, a large peacock feather blows in the window. Bess shrieked, despite her previous claim of not being superstitious. It's the scariest thing that happens in the whole book, and it is not that scary. Bess was too terrified, and George and Nancy too startled to move. And then down comes Hannah with a big bouquet of peacock, peacock feathers. feathers. Just shedding peacock feathers. <laughs> Ooh, I've got all these feathers. <laughs> Apparently, which belonged to Nancy's grandma. I was reminded of peacock feathers, so I thought I'd bring down, because they're bad. Oh, they're bad luck. Oh, shoot. Nancy's like, okay, let me look at my notes. Just to just to be clear, Hannah, uh, would you agree that the peacock feather is, uh, the eye specifically, is one of the most unusual things in nature? Listen. <laughs> There's a lot of unusual things in nature, but scientifically, on the Andy Kaufman scale of unusualness, a peacock's eye is like six Andy Kaufmans. It's really unusual. Now, we are told a bunch about how peacocks are very proud, and one of the evidences for this mm -hmm. is that if you pluck their tail feathers, mm -hmm. they will hide go into mourning, and perhaps die from starvation from not wanting to eat. And I just think we're placing human pride and we're saying that's what birds have too. Instead of being like, actually their feathers might be like important to them for survival or maybe they feel like it was kind of an assault kind of like when we get burglarized that's a betrayal of our sense of safety did you know mm -hmm. that humans mm -hmm. are so proud <laughs> that if you pull their arms off they'll be so sad that they'll sometimes lose weight and cry for uh, forever <laughs> they're so proud yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, you've defaced a peacock. Like, yeah, it might be sad, I feel for like sake. The more clever comparison is shooting off one of their pigtails, but... No. <laughs> Pull their arms off. Don't tell me to be clever. I, I refuse. So now they get a stained glass window lesson from Mr. Atwater, who is Carson's friend, of course, retired and in bad health. Much is said about, let's not take up your time, you're too weak. George has her accident of the books, slipping on some beeswax and placing her hand into some glass, cutting her hand. But George Ever the Tuffy says, it's nothing. And on we go. Nancy, for only at best vague reasons, decides to go to Charlottesville, Virginia. A lot of English settled there. There's a listing of a stained glass maker there. But also her cousin Susan lives there. Yeah, Susan that's Carr. It. And, that's, and those are the reasons. I was sure at some point we would get more later in the book when they're like, well, maybe it isn't here. She's like, I refuse to give up. I will check no other part of this great country of ours <laughs> it is here her cousin susan got married a while back 
and moved to Charlottesville with her husband, Cliff. But before they can leave, Mr. Ritter comes back and says, Something terrible has happened. I need your help at once, Nancy. Mrs. Dondo is causing more trouble. <gasps> and so Nancy accompanies him to Mrs. Dondo's house, where she says, You've brought your detective with you. She says that acidly. <laughs> she has a letter from her brother that says, Yeah, I did send $100, so pay up. Nancy says, Oh, this isn't really good proof and mrs dondo says aha i no longer blame just mr ritter you're the one who picked up the mail from the ground you pocketed my a hundred dollars nancy drew we've also seen this happen before mm -hmm. from a much more interesting character <laughs> i love her name though dondo i just realized she's specifically stealing from one of walter craig's books like he's the one who did the mail scheme before mm -hmm. good job harriet adams i guess <laughs> the way to show him you don't need him. Um, <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Nancy, of course, was furious at these accusations. Your statements are ridiculous and you know it says Nancy. She also like threatens Mrs. Dondo. The people here in this neighborhood are friendly and honest. Drop this or you may find living here very unpleasant. Uh <laughs> You're gonna find yourself with a very slick social wall to climb. I do think that this is interesting that for the first time we literally have a villain who lives in Nancy's neighborhood. And it's such a nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. The people there aren't usually like that. Well, Mrs. Dondo says, I've got a good family too my brother is a talented artist that's why he has a hundred dollars mm-hmm just sitting around waiting to be mailed but nancy assures mr ritter that carson can take care of everything mm -hmm. to which mr ritter says you're a good friend thanks a lot i'll only be vaguely in this book from here on out <laughs> we take a break for nancy to write a letter to ned you know they had been friends for several years lies Togo brings in a canceled stamp, like part of the little corner of an envelope. Uh-oh, maybe the Drew family does owe Mrs. Dondo. And I want it to be true. I want Nancy to be wrong. I want all of her assumptions up to this point. The brother-in-law just doesn't like his brother-in-law. Like there was $100 the whole time. Maybe she's even wrong about the law. Maybe it's not illegal to send, like maybe her dad's like, no, that's that's totes legal and we owe her. I just want her to be wrong. <laughs> That's not the universe we live in. <laughs> because who does that? Who's like, you might not like living here if you keep giving me trouble. The universe we <laughs> live in contorts itself to make Nancy right. So Susan had been very excited that Nancy was coming to visit her. After all, it's going to be garden week. <gasps> garden week? But uh -oh. just now, Nancy receives a telegram. A completely legit this time telegram. You know what? Say what you will about the telegram industry. <laughs> Say that it's rife with fraudsters. <laughs> Say that in 34 books, we've never once received a legitimate telegram. But finally, at least this time, it's true. I imagine the modern equivalent of a telegram is like just a random text. From like an unknown number. Yeah. <laughs> You know, Susan. Yeah. Says, postpone your trip. We'll write when convenient for you to visit. The audacity. Nancy could not believe that Susan would send such an ungracious message. Yeah, at least try to. It's fine. It's if she literally couldn't believe it, why didn't she just call her up? 
So they'll stay at the Hotel Richmond instead. Get to their hotel on eventful drive. They check in. George, who always likes to stay up to date, clicks on the news on the TV. The whole time Nancy's grumbling about her ungrateful cousin. (laughs) And wouldn't you know it, what's on the news but a bulletin saying that Susan Carr is at the hospital. (gasps) She was headed to the airport. Slow news day. When she had a car crash. The driver was a hit and runner and he left her in a ditch. So they race to the hospital, find Susan, who doesn't look great, but looks okay. Yeah, she's fine. Her car's messed up. She's okay. Nancy's like, what was that telegram all about? And Susan says, I didn't send a telegram. A fraud? <laughs> what? In the telegram I, system? Oh, I, I was really tricked this time. Oh, right? man. <laughs> what was the reason for keeping them apart? What a good question. Because currently we're here for the mystery of the magazine article looking for something. Susan describes the other driver who pushed her into a ditch as unnatural looking. Yeah. It turns out he might have had a stocking over his face. That does make you look bad. Yeah. They then go sightseeing in Charlottesville. Bess feels like she just had a refresher course in American history. The Uh, home of Thomas Jefferson and others. The next day... They bring Susan out of the hospital. They're driving her in her car to her house where they will now stay. Suddenly, the steering won't work and Nancy plunges into an embankment. Now, everybody else is okay, miraculously, but poor Susan flies through the air into the windshield and blacks out. Yeah, Susan's not having great luck with cars. They bring her to a local house. Dr. Stair comes. She's had a bad shock, but nothing's broken. She starts to cry hysterically. You know how women be. And he gives her a sedative. She'll be out for an hour and then she'll be fine. Just give her a little time for her uterus to get back in place and she'll be okay. Nancy now suspects that maybe someone at the Blossom Garage that fixed Susan's car tampered with the steering. But when she calls the Blossom Garage, they say, no, 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 we had a prowler last night it's not that much better (laughs) did you not check stuff and this just makes no sense if susan had no enemies then why is this happening oh hope susan's got enemies the anti-gardeners of the community nancy herself thinks the loss of a hundred dollars was not provocation for such drastic a retaliation this is what i'm saying nothing in this book was worth the amount of trouble this man went through yeah Whoever the person is must be desperate. Susan, upon waking up, apologizes for being hysterical. I guess two accidents were too, too many. Yeah. (laughs) Mr. Carr reassures them that there's also a neighborhood mystery to be solved. (gasps) Not another George groaned. Come, am I ever going to get to enjoy my life? The problem is there's been strange sounds coming from a high-walled manor. A moss-covered mansion. Is it jaguars? There's extra stakes here because a new person from India Mm -hmm. has moved in to this manor and no longer wants to be a part of Garden Week. In fact, didn't he put up the high walls? Yeah. Completely cutting off this mansion's beautiful garden and creating the mystery of the sounds. They don't just say, can you find out what the sounds are? Solve this mystery for them means convince Mr. Honcho to be in Garden Week. The mystery is get this man to do what we want. Yeah, it's a very special reason. 
I love it when they say things are special. We need him in the garden party for a very special reason. Bass says, no, thank you. I'll help with something that's not so weird. <laughs> when really this is the most normal thing that an 18-year-old girl might be asked to Sounds. do. Sounds! <laughs> if any men are coming into my life, I want them to be young and handsome. And she doesn't think the bad guys probably are. Well, good news for her. The others laugh. At least one of them will be, I think. And Bess says, you know what? I'd say Mr. Honcho doesn't want visitors, which is really the voice of reason in this room. Yeah, Bess, that's the problem. That's what we have to mystery him out of. Just like in Moscover Mansion, mm-hmm. they walk all around this high wall they... to find another entrance. Yeah, they're disappointed that on the water side of it, I guess it's also near water, the walls are just as high. Mm-hmm. And they do hear one of the calls, but it doesn't quite sound like the call of, I think they say a bobcat. It's not quite like a cat's call. They see a small door, finally. They see a red-headed cowboy (laughs) biking along and unlocking the door. Yeehaw. They call to him, please wait, but he paid no attention. Bess thinks these screams indicate that somebody's being tortured in there. Naturally. Nancy says, if so, we must try to help the person. That would be good. But Nancy was stymied as to how to get into this house. So she decides it was just a peacock, after all. A peacock, of course. (laughs) Bess was not convinced, and she wants to get the police. Nancy says, I'm pretty sure it's a peacock. Yeah, don't ruin my good time, Bess. (laughs) If it's a person, I would have to figure this out. And I don't want to figure this out. It's a peacock, Bess. They're off to meet the local stained glass artist, Mr. Bradshaw, who also happens to be very good friends with Mr. and Mrs. Carr, Susan and Cliff. Works out. He gives them more lessons in stained glass and says he knows nothing about Sir Greystone's stained glass window. Now that's interesting because as he tells the group this, Nancy sees a copy of the Continental on his floor, open to the very page where the stained glass story was published. Why would he lie about knowing about it? She thinks Bradshaw might be also searching for the window. Bess realized that Nancy was not paying attention, figured that Nancy was suspicious of something. So she clues her in when Mr. Bradshaw is looking at her suspiciously. Mm-hmm. Isn't this talk fascinating, Nancy? Nancy flashes her a grateful smile. What? what yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, George says, well, I can't blame him, but I hope you win this contest of finding the stained glass window. So now we have an aside because Susan, having totaled her car, needs a new car. We can never have a Nancy Drew where we don't know how to get around. Bess and George's families have convertibles, but Mm -hmm. they're not as good as Nancy's convertible. So it's off to the showroom to buy a car. You're lucky, says Bess, which is what everyone's thinking. And George says it's a record because it's so fast. Yeah, Susan's just like, oh, Nancy's car's good? I'll take one. So Susan and Cliff say, Nancy, you may drive either of our cars on the condition that you solve at least one mystery. Take your pick. Yeah. Nancy laughed merrily. Hannah sends Nancy a letter. Apparently back home, Mrs. Dondo is spreading rumors about Nancy. Well, that Nancy girl just left town because she owes me a hundred dollars. That's why she left town, don't you know? Apparently, Carson went and had some words with her, though. (laughs) And Mrs. Dondo actually began to tremble and said she would not say anything more against 
Nancy. Oh, to have seen that scene. Bess says, well, good for your dad. That woman needs to be put in her place, mm-hmm. which for me is kind of an oof. What a, what a great thing, that man yelling at that woman. Yeah, go make her tremble. <laughs> George says, I'm afraid she won't keep her promise. Nancy, you better watch out. Nancy goes to look for Alonzo Rugby, the famous artist brother of Mrs. Dondo. She thinks, well, the address on the stamp that Togo found is from Charleston, so he must live here. Naturally. But there is no Alonzo Rugby. Cliff says, no problem, I'll call the art department at the university. I mean, he's a famous artist, they'll know. They also haven't heard of him. Susan even calls her woman artist friend. Well, he's a famous artist. She'll know him. Nope. Bess says, oh, let's forget him. Yeah, it seems like the rest of the world has. Nancy did not reply. So now they have dinner and we see Anna waiting on them. Yeah, Susan says, we ask her to make more simple meals, but she just loves to do these multi-course fancy meals for us. We, we really, it's not us, it's her. I must confess, though, that I love it. <laughs> Cliff says, Anna is a rare person. She sort of lives in the past and is very much like her mother who worked for my mother she imitates her in everything there's some vibes here yeah it's a a real get out vibe (laughs) of it's never said but one can't help but wonder if anna is perhaps black uh there's a scene in forrest gump it goes back through the women in this one guy's family serving this white family and it's you know first as slaves then as maids now that one has a happy ending because she becomes rich and then they're serving her but it is interesting that in especially in these southern cities you have this family heritage of doing that kind of serving especially since as we continue this book we get into a lot of architecture of slaves quarters that's going to come up a lot yeah so the southern that that's that that gross feeling in the air of 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 slavery in the south just kind of preludes this whole book Bess's weird fascination with plantations. Yeah, yeah. You can just feel it in your skin. So they have some soup, and then they have squabs. I hope you all like my birds, says Anna. And then for some reason, the book says the birds proved to be delicious, but they put birds in quotation marks. Yeah, maybe they were tofu squabs. Maybe that weren't real birds. So this is the meal of the book, because they also have sweet potatoes. Ooh. Corn pudding Mm. and piping hot biscuits. (laughs) Bess says, don't anybody remind me I'm on a diet. Bess is feeling like left out because no one's made fun of her yet. Yeah. So as Anna goes to serve Mr. Cliff his slice of strawberry shortcake, all of a sudden she drops it. With a scream. She screams, good heavens. A man with the eyes of the devil was looking in here. He was trying to cast a spell on all of us. What does that mean to have the eyes of the devil? I I was so curious. Was he just looking intently or was he like high on the reefer? Apparently it meant the same thing as the unnatural look in that he probably had a stocking. He just had a stocking on his face. Of course. (laughs) Susan says to Anna, oh, he probably meant no harm in order to calm her down. Naturally. Would not calm me down. Nancy sneaks off to follow the footprints, doesn't tell anybody, gets her flashlight, and off she goes. She does find a small metal tube labeled black oxide of iron. An artist dropped this. I must tell Bess and George. But before she can, a heavy rock hits 
puts her between her shoulders. She falls and is knocked out because she falls on her head. Which is quite the feat if you think about it. When Anna describes the guy, that's when Sue is like, oh yeah, that's the guy from the car. Cliff calls the police and it's only after all the excitement and they go back to dinner that they notice there is no Nancy at the dining (laughs) table. George says, that's odd. I saw her come into the house. Huh. Nancy must have gone outdoors again to do some sleuthing. Right you are, George. Oh dear, says Susan. I hope nothing has happened to her. But dear reader, it had. Yeah, they found her limp body. Oh, Nancy, cries out Bess. Nancy comes to muttering, where's the the paint tube? Was Nancy delirious, the book asks. What? What? Dr. Tillett says that her back will be sore for several days, but she does not need to stay in bed. So this time we won't have this weird interlude where she's just in bed. And it doesn't come up again, the yeah. back sore. Nancy makes a paper footprint of the footprints. Because of the car's friendship with Bradshaw, the girls did not tell Susan or Cliff what they had in mind. They are off to measure Mr. Bradshaw's shoes up against these paper footprints. Let's find out. Now we do have an interlude for sightseeing we have to go see thomas jefferson's house you know he was an inventor does this seem like all of our founding fathers are inventors yeah does it seem like it was easy to invent in the 18th century like nothing had been made yet so you could just like put two things together and be like it's a pen but also it's a toothpick i'm an inventor Apparently, Thomas Jefferson, along with owning slaves, also figured out an ingenious way to never wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah, he had his bed in between two rooms so that he could either roll out of bed into the study or roll out of the bed into his bedroom and then the bed would be hoisted up on ropes the rest of the time is yeah. my understanding that's ropes a terrible invention up into the ceiling best says that's for me you'd never get out of the wrong side of the bed Bess, what are you talking about well they're tired of sightseeing yeah but susan carr says <gasps> wait a minute mrs dowd knows all about the neighborhood we should go ask her mrs dowd says bless you dear you've brought some very attractive friends the weirdest thing to say. Mrs. Dowd bubbled along in the one-sided conversation until Susan finally interrupted diplomatically. Upon hearing about the stained glass window situation, well, I declare, now maybe I can lead you all right to that reward. They go to the attic. Mrs. Dowd says, here's this shattered stained glass window. (gasps) Now I admit I'm a right lazy individual when it comes to working out puzzles, but you guys can do this, surely. And she apologized apologizes profusely for her dirty attic because she says it is so difficult to get help these days no one wants to work no one wants to work anymore ever since we freed them george says this is a jigsaw puzzle on a large scale best says and just about as hard i feel like it's harder harder, so after doing this for a bit it becomes clear this is not the stained glass window (laughs) we're after and nancy says you've been a wonderful sport letting us raid your attic and work on this. Unfortunately, this is not the window we're looking for. Would you like us to put the pieces back where they were? <laughs> like, basically like, yeah, it's been really nice of you letting us Do build your, this yeah. for you. Do you want us to... <laughs> fuck it up again mrs dowd oh no indeed even if it takes me a year even if i have to get my husband to do it we're gonna fix it just leave it there so so nancy and the gang fingers and hands bloodied by glass (laughs) 
go on to see Mr. Bradshaw. Mr. Bradshaw says, Susan, I'm so glad to see you and your friends. Gasp. He has a new assistant. This new assistant is stout and has dark hair and very bright small eyes. And his name is Alonzo Rugby. Alonzo Rugby. Bess literally gasps and steps back. And then she has to, like, apologize. Explain. I'm dreadfully sorry. I've heard Mr. Rugby is a famous artist. I was impressed to think I was actually meeting him. Mr. Bradshaw raised his eyebrows, but did not comment. (laughs) He has to either be like, oh, yeah, 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 I am. Or be like, "I, I don't know how you heard that. Yeah, he's like, you must have me mixed up with Mr. Bradshaw. He's the great artist. I'm merely a pupil. Nancy is very excited to compare shoes. The best way to accomplish this and to watch both men would be to visit the studio as often as possible. Nancy, therefore, asks for some lessons. Rugby is quick to say that Mr. Bradshaw is not only a great artist, but a very busy man. But Susan reassures Mr. Bradshaw, Oh, don't worry. Nancy is not a beginner. She went to art school. I'll be happy to give you a few lessons, says Mr. Bradshaw. And Nancy was thrilled. She also eliminates Mr. Bradshaw as the attacker by putting her foot surreptitiously next to his shoe. However, Alonzo's shoe would bear further investigation. Mm. Rugby takes Bess by the arm, having decided already that she is the weakest member of this troop. You can always tell. Takes her aside and says, I want to give you a warning, miss. Don't let your friend come here to take lessons. Mr. Bradshaw's wife is the jealous type. (gasps) A couple of times when he's had a woman student, she made life miserable for them. Uh So you had better keep your friend away. How do I know this is true? Bess asks. Very smart. And he says she would have to take his word for it. Oh, so she does? So as they get in the car, George is like, oh, were you making a date with Alonzo? Bess says, of course not. But Nancy, you mustn't go there. At first she was like, how do I know? But then she's like, no, it's true. (laughs) Bess, you're so stupid. Sue calls the claims utterly ridiculous because Mrs. Bradshaw is one of the loveliest women she knows and certainly is not jealous and never interferes with his work. You know, beautiful women don't get jealous. Especially not if they're not like loudly dressed. (laughs) looked uncomfortable and her cousin chided her. Nancy said, well, I'm glad it happened. Bess has been a bigger help than you give her credit for. Yeah, she really stumbled into some clues there. Oh, Georgie George, you were told off. Bess says that rugby is dangerous and Susan says, yeah, if he's the kind of person you think he is, maybe you shouldn't go back. What do you think Nancy does? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what, what do you think her job is here? He might be a good for nothing. Don't get near him. What's she gonna... Oh, okay. I'll just go on more tours of Thomas Jefferson's. We can just go home. No mystery, because you said so. Guys. Besides, Nancy will be perfectly safe with a gentleman like Mr. Bradshaw around. Right. The next day, Bess, George, and Susan go off to play golf while Nancy goes to her art lessons. Mr. Bradshaw treated Nancy like a child. Yeah, he gave her some paper and crayons and told her to draw in the corner. And a smock. <laughs> and a smock, that's right. Don't want to get those crayons on, on your, your pretty dress. dress. Yeah, I don't want to get in trouble with your parents. So she draws Togo in some azaleas and forsythias, but she's not satisfied, so she draws a religious one 
one. And then she ends up drawing five different drawings before calling Mr. Bradshaw over. This whole time, Rugby has been watching her and keeps finding reasons to leave his workbench and look over her shoulder. <laughs> Mr. Bradshaw does like her drawing of Togo and says, you do have talent. These would be possible to make into stained glass windows, but they wouldn't be great. So Nancy next draws a peacock, hoping to get a reaction. Mr. Bradshaw right then has to go out to find a flower that's the shade of blue that he wants. Nancy, noticing that again Rugby has come up behind her, says, how do you like it? Rugby demolishes her. It's pretty bad. You ought to be ashamed of yourself taking up Mr. Bradshaw's time. Anyone can see that you're no artist. Where did you get the idea that you were? Nancy was stunned for a moment, but then she says, I'll see what Mr. Bradshaw has to say about it. Alonzo Rugby's eyes blazed. He crumples it and throws it into the fireplace, but not into the fire. And I guess Nancy just decides it's too ruined to bother going and getting. They specify that he threw it into the ashes near the burning logs. It's ambiguous. (laughs) It's ambiguous, right? Um, But also why she never tells Mr. Bradshaw about this incident. She just decides early on Mr. Bradshaw might be the bad guy because there was a magazine. Like, he might not have even read the magazine. Yeah, he's also in league with his good for nothing. The case could have been solved faster if she'd taken Mr. Bradshaw into her confidence. Yeah. Why, how dare you, Nancy says to Rugby. You had no right to do that. Yes, I did, Rugby said defiantly, his eyes snapping. If you haven't got sense enough to get out of here, then I'm the one to see you do. (laughs) A true student of beauty must destroy dissonance wherever he sees it. And what you created was sickening. As a girl detective, you have to be capable of having a wide variety of emotions, sometimes all at once. Nancy was angry, but also elated. (laughs) Those are two emotions I've never had at the same time. I guess I've had like righteous anger or like anger where it's like, but I've gotcha. And I guess that's what they're talking about. Like she's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like now, now you've done it. Now you've done it. Yeah. You've stepped (laughs) in it and you will face my wrath. Nancy takes a good pivot. She says, maybe you're right. Suppose you show me some of your sketches. Very well, but it won't help you. Either you're born with talent or you're not. Nancy, however, seems to think that all of his drawings are mediocre. So she starts a new drawing of Susan in the garden. Mr. Bradshaw loves it. Now you've caught on, Nancy. This is excellent. He even recognizes it as Susan. Rugby, meanwhile, is scarlet. And he is casting angry glances. I'm so glad you like it, Mr. Bradshaw. With a lilt in her voice as if she were saying to Rugby, see, you don't know what you're talking about. As they leave, Nancy notices that Rugby leaves his footprints in the mud outside. (gasps) She smiled with satisfaction. I'll come back here after dark. Or maybe you could have waited just a half hour. Don't wait Mm. that long. She drops her compact in the bushes to have an excuse for why she came back. She gets home to find out that the boys are on their way. (gasps) Not Ned, Dave, and Bert. Yep. Dave, who dated Bess, Bert, who is George's favorite escort, and Ned, who we've learned has been friends with Nancy for many years. Years and years. Nancy was delighted. George says, I'm sure Ned won't let you go back there alone. And I wouldn't want him to. (laughs) 
Ned takes Nancy aside for a moment and whispers in her ear, miss me? Pretty hot. Nancy says, sure have, but I've been keeping myself busy with Mark Bradshaw. (gasps) Nancy has turned at this point from being ignorant of jealousy to being like, this is kind of fun. Let's fuck with Ned. It's a little, little carrot and stick action. Who's he? Oh, I'll explain later. So after dinner, Ned is finally relieved to learn who Mark Bradshaw is. Nancy doesn't want Ned's footprints near the bush, only hers. So she has to go on alone to find her compact in the bush. I noticed new footprints in the mud that weren't here when I left the other day. Who is that that has that love other than Nancy? And why couldn't you just be like, oh yeah, my boyfriend escorted me. To get my compact! Well, yeah, Ned stays back. Nancy sees someone exiting the studio with a flashlight. She's tempted to go get Ned, but she doesn't want to lose track of Alonzo Rugby. (gasps) It's Alonzo. What in the world is he doing here? He takes Nancy's drawing. Out of the fireplace. Out of the fireplace. Didn't get burned. Flattens it and puts it in his portfolio. Nancy follows him into the woods all the way to the river where he canoes away towards Ivy Hall and Cumberland Manor. Nancy figures he must live that direction. She does measure the footprints, which are the same size, but the original footprints had a circle in the hill. Not the same shoe. These ones don't. No. Still, I'm going to find out all I can about him to prove either his guilt or his innocence. And Nancy gets treed by a Doberman pincher on her walk back through the woods. Mm-hmm. Ned rescues her by grabbing the dog's collar. Stop that, Prince, and you ruffian, what are you doing here? Nancy involuntarily gasps, revealing that she's up in the tree, and Mr. Bradshaw is none too plussed, shall we say. Nancy's like, listen, I came back from my compact. Your dog treed me. And Mr. Bradshaw's like, I don't give a stone cold F. Get off my property. I'm mad at you now. No more lessons. We'll I'm, forget the whole thing. I'm but busy no now. No more lessons. I just, and she's like, oh, look, I have found my compact. It is here in the bushes. I was telling the truth. And he's, he's like, not a stone cold F. <laughs> I will not be back in this book until this mystery is solved. He will not even shake Ned's hand. The young sleuth berated herself. Ned mutters, nice sociable guy. Ned hates people who aren't sociable every time. Nancy says, he may have heard that I like to solve mysteries and is wondering why I was spying around his place. He may have heard you're a witch. I mean, things get around. I thought it was going to be that like rugby had taken other things than the drawing and he now suspects Nancy of being a thief. Yeah, I thought maybe he was involved in something but not the bad thing, something different. There's nothing. He just didn't, he's just not going to be back. Mr. Bradshaw is truly the Mr. Crutes of this book, I think. This is a nicer version. When they get home, George was doing a comic impersonation. Nancy, you're a mess, says George. Instead of sympathizing with Nancy's story, her friends burst into laughter. (laughs) Bert, in particular, strikes a pose and acts as if he's reading a newspaper and reads the headline, Nancy Drew, great detective, treed by villainous hound. (laughs) And I just think it's so mean. That's great. (laughs) But it's just like, aha, get off your high horse, Nancy Drew. About time. The newspapers might write about you, but we know what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah, roast this girl. (laughs) 
Best says, that's enough teasing. Let's continue our game of imitating famous people. You know how we do that? You know, we sit around and we say, I don't know, who's, who's famous? The next day, Nancy gets in a little bit of gossip with the local mailman. Spill that tea. Who says that rugby actually lives in the opposite direction of Ivy Hall. What? <laughs> Cliff says, you girls have turned me into a detective. He has gone to the historical society or something there are no gray stones in the whole area hmm. sorry i'm not giving up yet says nancy nancy hears that the bradshaws are not going to come to the party and she worries that it's because of her it is they don't want to be in this book anymore she considers even going home but she does stay which is lucky for her because good-looking paul staunton is into her you can tell because he helps her get goodies off of the food table i gotta tell you Paul Staunton sounds like a real Jason Funderburger. Like, I imagine Paul Staunton being just like, Hey, Nancy. Now, we're literally halfway through the book at this point. Yep. And we're entering really what what is a heavy part two. Maybe even a second book. <laughs> Sheila Patterson is coming towards them. And Paul Staunton is like, oh, great. And she only likes to talk about herself. An actress? Really? Nancy, darling, I've just learned you're simply marvelous at solving mysteries. <laughs> I have a devastating one for you. Nancy's eyes widened. Apparently there have been strange noises, ghostly footsteps, and peacocks at Ivy Hall, which is bad luck. recently purchased by Sheila Patterson. Mm. And yes, also bad luck. Sheila Patterson bemoans the fact that she'll never get another part in a play. Nancy was astounded that a person of Sheila's talent and intelligence could believe such an absurd thing. Yeah, what are you, Bess? Paul Staunton had been standing all this time. Just holding both their drinks. <laughs> so, at this point, he excuses himself. I'm going to go talk to Bess. She's my number two choice. Perhaps you two would like to be alone. I'll be back later, Nancy. Nancy flashes him an appreciative smile. Please try not to be upset about the mystery at your home. You know, most people believe peacocks bring good luck, not bad luck. But Sheila says, good luck, bad luck, I don't need any of it. That's such a good reference. <laughs> Until I find out there's nothing supernatural going on, <laughs> I must believe that there's only bad luck in store for me. Oh, man. So she says, will you come stay with me and solve my mystery? Nancy says, I'd like to come, but yes. I have friends. I got friends. I'm, I'm here in town with friends. I got a whole book series. I got to bring everything with me. Ned could visit. You don't know. Well, of course. I meant to invite them too. Nancy says, okay, in that case, you're a darling. A perfect darling. My nerves are nearly shattered. Then we meet elfin-like auburn-haired Annette. She's tiny, apparently, mm -hmm. with an upturned nose. She's also relieved to hear Nancy's coming to stay with them. Thanks a million, but I must say, Nancy, you have courage. Paul and Nancy spent the rest of the evening together. Now this is who Ned should have been jealous of. Yeah. George says the party was super. Beth says it was dreamy. And Susan says, yeah, everyone liked you, especially, especially Paul. Paul. Nancy blushed and admitted he's a lot of fun. So she says, Susan, if you don't need me for a few days, I'm gonna I'm gonna ski daddle. I'm gonna go solve a different mystery than the two mysteries I told you I was gonna solve. And Susan says, that's all right, but be back in time for garden week. And have my mystery of having him be in garden week solved by garden week. 
Don't worry, Nancy says. I'm also thinking of you. I think the Peacocks of Cumberland Manor and Ivy Hall, which is right next door to Cumberland Manor, might be connected. There might be some connection between those peacocks. Cliff says, that's right, Nancy. You amaze me. Peacocks, peacocks, <laughs> put them together. Nancy's got it. But Bess's take on all of this is ugh ghosts and peacocks what is this episode four of over the garden wall (laughs) right when they arrive at ivy hall annette is talking to that cowboy from earlier who wouldn't even talk to them the one who went into the honcho house he skedaddles and Sheila says, you are lambs to come. So we find out that Annette and Sheila up till this point in their lives always lived in hotels. I get such Grey Gardens vibes from these ladies <laughs> because they just have this like austerity vibe, this like dramatic mother and daughter pair living in this dilapidated mansion by themselves, mm. just worrying about the peacocks. And it's so, it's eccentric. They're settling down. They're settling down. They want to live at Ivy Hall, but they're not sure they can with all this ghost business coming on. It's the first time we've seen new wealth portrayed this way. Mm -hmm. Guess what? America loves new wealth now. On the tour of the complete house. Don't forget, says Annette, that used to be the old slave quarters. Thank you, Annette. I prefer this much to The Hidden Staircase, which there also seem to be a lot of overlaps between The Hidden Staircase and The Hidden Window Mystery. Mm -hmm. Go figure. I believe they called them servants in that one. Yeah. (laughs) That still goes on today on some plantation tours, is my understanding. And I appreciate they do just call them the old slave quarters. Yeah. So that much I appreciate, but more on that later. (laughs) Meanwhile, Annette is very direct. She's like, we don't have money. We spend it all getting this house that we might be chased out of. The Pattersons do not have money for servants. So unfortunately, there will have to be simple meals. Bess says, oh, well, we'll be glad to help. And George makes her dig of the book. If you make Bess chief cook, you can be sure of always having a real feast. And honestly, it's kind of a compliment. So like, George has really dialed it back this time. I have a feeling they keep having these fights between books. And so sometimes that's why we come back and George is like, oh, yeah, that's right. I have to tone it down for a while. You mean like canonically? Yeah. That's funny. I I do notice we also have been waffling a bit between uh, when we read the 50s versions. It's much more mean. It is weird. And the 70s versions, they've lightened up quite a bit. Luckily, their bedroom also overlooks the old slave quarters. Oh, good. I really thought with the amount that they were mentioning it, that it was going to be like some place that the bad guy was like Yeah, like a lair or or something. something. Yeah, nothing to do with any of that. So Nancy smiles at a closed stairway to the attic. Another nod to the hidden staircase. It may come in handy to know about this, she says half jokingly, winking at George. By the end of the day, they've had such a tour that Nancy says she could almost find her way around the house in the dark. Sheila assures her that she won't need to because there are electric lights everywhere but the attic. Annette hangs out with Bess, George, and Nancy in their bedroom and Bess spoke enthusiastically of Ned, Bert, and Dave. Nancy mentions the cowboy. Is he someone you date? Oh, you mean Luke Seeney. Bess says, is he a real cowboy? Oh, yes, he is. From Oklahoma. Luke's been trying to date me for over a week, but I don't care for him. Boy, that boy will not let up all week. All he does is brag about his wealthy family. 
I feel like I went to high school with a girl I tried to date for four years, so, you know. Wow. I was not great in high school. <laughs> Did you brag about your wealthy family the whole time? No, I just think I opened doors for her and went, why doesn't she know I like her? <laughs> Probably. Yes, I know now that she did. (laughs) Jeez. So they're surprised to learn that Luke is staying at a hotel. He doesn't live with Mr. Honcho. Huh. They say, well, what is Luke doing here from Oklahoma? Oh, nothing special, I guess. Just sightseeing. Luke's story did not ring true to Nancy. That seems very weird. Annette wishes pleasant dreams to all of them before leaving. And Bess says, I wish so too. Which, I guess we didn't hear the wording of Annette's like Still, pleasant dreams. I don't wish. know how that works. <laughs> Ivy Hall gives me a funny feeling. It's hard to describe, but even if I hadn't heard the place is haunted, I'd have thought so myself. I mean, old houses be creepy, especially if they have old slave quarters. Uh, yeah, that's always, that's that's prime for haunting. And especially if they're like kind of dilapidated like this one is. Yeah, it's going to be haunted. Not to mention some hauntings are caused by like carbon monoxide. I or, was like... just thinking it's a carbon monoxide. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Nancy, now Bess, you don't mean that. Total gaslighting. You don't mean what you say. And George follows it up by a look of reproach. You'll sleep sounder than any of us, she prophesied, and in the morning you'll take back those words. George is very wrong in this case also. (laughs) When they wake up at midnight, there was no doubt that someone was walking in the attic. The ghost, Bess shrieked. Oh, it's true. There are ghosts in this house. She literally hides under the covers. Well, the spooky thing about ghosts is that they, let me check my notes here, walk. As a child, well before I ever was afraid of ghosts, my first best friend ever, their house got robbed and I was just like very afraid of burglars. And sometimes you do hear noises in the attic and I was convinced that a family lived in our attic. They take your antique furniture? Yeah, it was basically one of those like live in the wall, come out at night and take your stuff, take your food and then go back to the attic. And to me, this was just like simply terrifying. Yeah as a young child (laughs) and that happens too it's even more terrifying anyways yes the ghost shame on you says george we came here to help nancy solve the mystery get up let's go you you tell me about it later nancy never mind the two of us can go knowing full well the best is gonna say oh i don't want to be alone wait for me come on best we got scooby snacks yeah 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 you mentioned that this is an especially scooby-doo one yeah we ain't afraid no ghost they pass annette in the hall who has also been awakened by this ghost and annette says oh you'd better not go up there something might happen to you what do you guys think that nancy does they say oh come with us and she says i wouldn't dare go anyway i promised mother i never would nancy chides herself for leaving her flashlight once again in In the car car. (laughs) it's like a drinking game at this point Annette lights a candle for them with trembling fingers. And Annette says, how are you going to catch the ghost? It's not real. And I'm just like, we need to have a discussion about how we discuss things. If it's not, re- what do you mean it's not real? I guess she means tangible, but like, also later Nancy Drew says, if the ghost is a human being, and aren't ghosts supposed to be human beings? When they get upstairs, Bess says the ghost must be hiding. The others did not comment. They open a trunk. There's a little girl 
hole with her eyes closed, lying in a trunk in the attic. This very nearly turned into a much worse mystery. Actually, it's just a very large life-like doll. Just a doll. <laughs> not, a, not a dead child. Bess becomes fascinated with a painting of a cavalier whose eyes seemed to stare at her. She was drawn to it like a magnet. It looked so real that it seemed almost to be alive. Harriet's just sitting there going, what are spooky things that could be in an attic? Nancy and George, meanwhile, are studying the opposite wall. It's a bit higher than the other walls, they notice. Suddenly, Nancy and George are gone. Bess says, I'm not going to stay up here all alone. Her friends must have gone downstairs without her. Not only that, she suddenly sees a swaying form in white. The ghost. Make no mistake, by the pictures we are shown of this event, it is... (laughs) A real ghost. A sheet. (laughs) A sheet. You know, like, draped in white does here mean a sheet with two black holes cut in it. Like, classic ghost. This ghost suddenly takes a step towards Bess. Also confusing. Shouldn't shouldn't have legs, but whatever. Bess runs downstairs. Bess's terrified expression convinced Annette that the girl must have seen something. Frightening. Yep. (laughs) A A ghost! Stutters Bess. It's in their g-g-g-ghost. And then she slumped to the floor. When Annette says that Nancy and George did not come downstairs, Bess stared in stupefaction. You mean they didn't come down here? The ghost got them. Sheila says, oh, what will we do? What will we do? Annette's like, we could call the police. Bess, although frightened, realized they could not wait for the police. Her courage returned. Come on, Annette. We'll rescue Nancy and George. Sheila does not want them to, but they all end up going up to rescue Nancy and George. She convinces Sheila to let them go upstairs by saying, actually, sometimes my cousin does pull pranks on me. Oh my gosh. Could it, on <laughs> second thought, maybe the opposite is true. Maybe Nancy and George, instead of disappearing, got under a sheet to scare me. Meanwhile... We find out what happened to Nancy and George. The floor had opened beneath their feet and they went down a very long wooden slide. Yep, classic. The hidden slide case. Which we find out later was just boards over a hidden staircase. They said that they would transport uh, boxes and stuff from the attic Mm -hmm. to where they're going, which is the slave's tunnel. Oh my head, Nancy. Are you all right? I guess so. I banged my shoulder a little. The two friends untangled themselves. They have to find their way in the pitch dark to some kind of entrance so they're going through various tunnels specifically george's knees get like all torn up by like i guess rocks and stuff that they're crawling through for yeah, like an hour it's so pitch black that they don't dare walk so on their way back they felt a little bit more brave and didn't walk on their hands and knees anymore george though felt too brave and walked ahead until splash george goes down under the water long enough that she can't talk back when nancy's asking her question yes like deep well (laughs) so now george is walking around in the dark in another tunnel sopping wet yeah nancy surmises that this is where the slaves would have gotten fresh water from nancy wants to raise their spirits so she says with a chuckle if the slaves had to walk along the bumpy path carrying trays of food 
They must have had a lot of spills. George says, I'll say, can you just see a big silver tray with a freshly roasted turkey being dropped upside down on this earthen floor? <laughs> the remark made both girls laugh and each felt better. What a beating they must have received. Like what? Stop that. Stop laughing about that. Terrible. I am not much of one for slapstick humor to begin with. Right. Funniest home videos can be funny, but many times I'm just empathizing too much with the pain. <laughs> and these are just stupid Poor Mr. Kids. Bean. Yeah, these are just stupid comedians and, and, yeah, and yeah, kids, yeah. and they're okay, you know? But the idea of laughing at the fact that slaves had to walk through this crappy tunnel to serve people because the people couldn't be bothered to have their houses heated up by cooking and couldn't be bothered to just not enslave human beings and yeah, to make some kind of weird joke about that there's something about the picture of an enslaved person carrying a silver tray with a freshly roasted turkey from their crap living conditions through a medieval tunnel and dropping it on the ground that makes my gut sink mm. the idea of the value of what they just dropped compared to what they own in their lives mm -hmm. the idea of what the consequences will be part of me says they're gonna pick it up and brush it off and hopefully the family who owns them gets parasites but part of me is worried for them i don't find that as funny as nancy does you're right maybe that was the joke ha 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 now they're gonna eat mud those stupid slave owners you know what that was the joke <laughs> that was the joke we're no. comfortable again we're giving them way too much credit <laughs> george laughs and jokes about the well this is probably where the slaves stopped to fill pitchers that's even less of a joke like it's not even slapstick i think that's why i misremembered it because i just assumed that was true so they do find it a set of stairs which goes up into a closet in the kitchen which george calls spooky that's the first thing she's called spooky i think and the closet door slams behind them when they go out of it and they joke ah the noise probably scared the pattersons and bess out of a year's growth i've never heard that phrase though. i know so they do come running and bess says we thought the ghost got you george says not us not us never once mm -mm. they also comment that george looks a mess she laughs and says i've been swimming yeah when nancy heard that bess had really seen a ghost her eyes opened wide the trap door will no longer open nancy figures out a way to get behind that tall wall they were examining mm -hmm. and finds a switch to the trap door nancy you're a genius Bess doesn't want to sleep with a masquerader on the loose. Annette says, I won't live in a house with a ghost spooker human another minute. Which, I mean, is fair. Like, I'm, again, more worried if it's a human than if it's a ghost. Right. But George has a solution. Over the practical one, she says, two of us will stand guard and everyone else will sleep. So they do for a few hours. Sheila apologizes in the morning for having become hysterical, which you should always do, women. If you become hysterical, <laughs> Jeez. definitely apologize. I've been thinking things over calmly now and, and it's still, I still think we should I still leave. think we should leave sorry i got crazy but also let's still <laughs> leave nancy says but that's just what the ghost wants you to do run from the murderer that's what he wants yeah you might be cheating yourself out of the treasure yeah which is rightfully yours if it's on the property yeah. finders keepers yeah. 
Nancy goes to look for footprints of the ghost. Come out here, everybody, she says. Oh, do they belong to a peacock, asked Sheila. Yes and no, Nancy replied ambiguously. <laughs> the others waited for her to explain. It's the peacock man, the mancock. The bird man himself has crafted peacock feet out of brass casting, strapped those to his shoe, and to disguise his footprints is walking around with peacock shoes. Tell me, Hope, if you had made peacock feet and were strapping them to your shoe to hide your footprints so you could walk around other people's property, how many times in that process would you have to say to yourself, no, this isn't stupid. (laughs) This... This isn't stupid at all. If I did do that, I would not expect someone to ever identify that, though. If I could pull that off. Yeah. Look at these footprints. Mm -hmm. Some of them are close together, but some of them are too far apart. Ergo. Nancy's hot take on all this is, he's more interested in peacocks than we figured. He wants to become a peacock. The man's half bird in the brain. When the footprints disappear at the river, George says, maybe the spook can fly. Proving her theory, Nancy does find one bronze foot. A lot of work to go through to just lose a foot. This is the strangest Sunday in my life. I think we should all have a little spiritual uplift, says Sheila. Leads them in devotions. Yeah, organ music, mostly. Hymns. (laughs) Because Annette says something like, we shouldn't leave the house. So they can't go to church. Right. So Nancy makes sure every door is locked and every window is nailed shut. All the ones they know about. She says, I'll almost agree with you that our visitor is supernatural if he finds a way in this. In the night, they hear screeching outside. Oh, the story is true, says Bess upon seeing a peacock. Sheila faints. Don't worry, says Annette. Mother often does this. <laughs> but we don't see her do it, I think, ever again. Often faints is an ambiguous term. You know, twice in a week, for me, would be often. Nancy and George are after the peacock. I've been on some crazy chases with you, Nancy Drew, but this one's the prize. I've had a wild goose chase, but this is ridiculous. Nancy agreed that it did seem absurd to be chasing a peacock at this hour. What a weird specific thing to say. It's the same as this is the weirdest Sunday I've ever had. Like, why are we all being so specific? A white sheeted figure pops out and tries to scare them and is unsuccessful. Though, George does cry out, the ghost! <laughs> uh, once again, in a bargain bin Halloween costume, this villain tries to scare them off and they're like, no, no. <laughs> You're a dude in a sheet. They get sprayed down with a fire hose. Which is much more effective. It knocks them to the ground and Nancy's flashlight goes out. This is why riot police almost never show up in ghost costumes, but do show up with fire hoses. This is right at the wall of Cumberland Manor. Now George's theory is that this was Luke Seeney because Sheila won't date him. Nancy thinks it probably has to do with the stained glass window reward. (laughs) Whatever the reason, they also on the way home see Alonzo Rugby in a canoe on the river. So maybe Alonzo and Luke are in cahoots, suggests Nancy. (laughs) There's a lot of maybes at this point. Nancy needs to know more about Luke. She has Annette call his hotel. Nancy tracks down Alonzo's house 
His landlady says that he only stops in anymore, but he never sleeps or eats there. Mrs. Paget is mainly there to confirm to them that Mrs. Dondo is a busybody and she was basically chased from Charleston because things got so bad and she almost got sued. They also discover that she had pulled the very same postman scheme in Charlottesville. Alonzo spends a lot of time bragging and he thinks he's a great artist. They stop by Susan's house to use her phone. Bess spends the time schmoozing Anna. No one can match your recipes. Anna says, I can spot a hint from a hungry girl from a mile away and gives her a large slice of coconut cake. It was a little small dig, but she got cake out of it. <laughs> Susan says what we're all thinking. It all seems unbelievable. Maybe we could find a case before the book with this one of some murderer who used peacock castings. That would be epic. That would be fascinating. <laughs> there, there have been ways to, to hide footprints before, but this is the most audacious. Well, says Nancy, we must get back to our sleuthing. Back they go to the Ivy Hall. Luke sends a large peacock fan to to Annette, who is impressed, but still doesn't want to date Luke. George says, that makes sense. He's still a ghost prospect. (laughs) But Nancy says, Annette, I want you to make a date with Luke. Sheila says, absolutely not. You will not date that boy, and you will return that fan. Annette says, though, let's hear what Nancy's plan is. Basically, they're going to invite him to dinner. They're going to bring him on a tour, reveal different secrets around the whole house, and see if he acts surprised or not surprised. Nancy's whole thing is just, like, putting parts of the mystery in front of people and seeing what they do. And usually they react. If anyone can set a trap for that cowboy, Nancy can, says George. Now we take a break to do some lawn work. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we gotta get that done before we figure out this mystery. That night, there are no further incidents in the house. The next day, they go on a garden tour. They get to meet an old storyteller who says maybe the Greystones changed their name to Graces when they came to America. Specifically think this because I was told that Mrs. Grace on her deathbed said, please forgive us, Lord Greystone. We were wrong to come here. Yeah, that's like really good evidence that that's what it was. They're like, well, maybe we should look there. I wish we could. And she's like, why don't you? They're like, well, we don't know where it is. She's like, it's Ivy Hall, you fools. Ivy Hall, where we're staying. Hypers, says George. Luke comes over for dinner. He doesn't know rugby. She can tell when he answers her questions. He says that Mr. Honcho is kind of a recluse. But when Nancy asks about the peacocks, he says, I'm not privileged to discuss Mr. Honcho's private business. Nancy was privately exalting. That's her private business. So they go through the whole tour. He's he's not acting too sus. But when they get to the attic, Nancy's like, oh, let me show you this switch back here. After like carefully corralling him onto the trap door. And he says, don't you dare touch it. And scoots Annette off of the trap door. Uh Aha! Nancy triumphantly, so you're the ghost of Ivy Hall. Luke kept silent. What is this? The third degree? Proving his guilt. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Kind of at this point it is, yeah. Nancy in a coaxing manner says, it's no use, Luke. There's too much evidence against you. Mostly my intuition. And the fact (laughs) that you knew about the trapdoor. Luke says, I don't know how you found all those things. You're a pretty smart girl, but I haven't done anything wrong. Well. Really, I haven't. Well. And as we 
we continue to hear how sorry he is for what he's done, I remember this. That he really, truly doesn't think he did anything wrong. Yeah. Suppose you tell us the whole story and you won't call the police. Sheila says, we'll answer that question when we've heard your story. Luke is completely crestfallen. His voice shakes. Annette is disgusted by him after all. You nearly succeeded if it weren't for Nancy Drew. (laughs) If it weren't for that meddling Nancy Drew. (laughs) And Luke's like, okay, here's the thing. Got a job with Mr. Honcho. He sought me out. Specifically because I was from Oklahoma, which I don't know if they ever explained that. No. So I I work for him. So I had access to peacocks. (laughs) I also happened to hear about the stained glass window reward. From the magazine everyone has. Everyone reads the Continental. (laughs) And I decided it was in the Ivy Hall. I'm not remembering right now why he decided that. Yeah, he decides it. So to search Ivy Hall, he decides the best thing is to scare the owners out of living there anymore Mm -hmm. so he can keep searching there. He does this with the help of Mr. Honcho's peacocks. Mr. Honcho does not realize he's borrowing his peacocks. Best says, okay, I get all that. I get that you did bad things and you did it because you wanted the reward money. Why did you have to nearly scare me out of my wits? Luke says, you just seemed like the scary type. Yeah, yeah. It was just very clear to me that it would be the easiest thing in the world to do. I saw a sheep and I saw you and I said, it'll work. They'll all leave if I do this. (laughs) So Luke is contrite. I guess I'm just a good for nothing, but I don't want to go to jail. Please don't call the police. How manipulative is that? It's weird. And there's so (laughs) many people who have done this kind of stuff that Nancy would throw the book at. Mm -hmm. But then that one time, remember that guy who like lived in the wall and she was like, no, he couldn't help it. To be fair, the man had been like in a mental hospital his whole life. Yeah. And like it had been his home. He wasn't breaking in to steal something. You know what's almost as bad as as that? Yeah. Is growing up poor. Oh. Luke grew up poor. He did not have a wealthy family as he bragged about earlier. Sheila says after a long pause, I suppose we all make mistakes, especially if we're trying too hard to make quick money. Yeah, that happens to all of us. That's been most of the criminals. And you're right. Nancy has not had mercy. And we talked about like how maybe it's because Luke didn't resort to violence at any point. He didn't knock Bess out. He just scared her. It's hard to know what the difference is. Maybe, maybe, if any of the criminals had just resorted to apologizing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe if they were white, like, that might have helped. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Luke says, oh, thank you so much. To prove that I'm sorry, I will introduce you to Mr. Honcho, who stays up very late. Nancy relaxed. It began to look as if Luke were not a malicious character, but a weak person who could not resist temptation. Oh, Luke, you're not a bad person. You're just weak. Just a a means to my end. Yeah. (laughs) Although the callers realized that the Indian gentleman must be very much surprised and perhaps annoyed, he gave no evidence of it. Mr. Honcho says, I am pleased to meet you all. He has, as you know, flawless English with a British accent. Also, the English accent is a remnant of colonialism. Mr. Honcho says to Luke, I suppose the visitors have learned our little secrets. Luke explains, Miss Drew is an amateur detective and she recognized the screeching of the peacocks. 
Mr. Honcho looked at the girl in perplexity and admiration. Oh, that secret. Yes, 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 yes. He made no comment on the subject, however. Nancy says, whatever I thought, I did not mention it to anyone. Which isn't true. She did tell people, but okay. She reassures Mr. Honcho that most of us, like people in your country, America now, but whatever, <laughs> think the birds are very beautiful and we admire them. I'd like to open my gates to the public, but I'm afraid that Americans think peacocks are bad luck, and I just love my peacocks. Yeah, and we haven't seen any evidence of that in this whole book. People thinking peacocks are bad luck. Ah, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. But Nancy's <laughs> like, no. So they get to meet the peacocks, including a pure white one who is very stately. Mr. Honcho again confirms that this bird is very sacred to us Indians. Bess says after they leave, isn't Mr. Honcho charming and so different from what I expected? What'd you expect, Bess? The more you know, Carl. Bess, what'd you expect? Yeah, you, you yeah. explain that to mm-hmm. us? You wanna explain that to the class, Bess? Yeah. Luke says, have I cleared myself now? No, we just, you haven't cleared, no, we just are allowing you to go free. No, we waited until you gave us what we wanted. <laughs> and now we're going to call the police. No. Sheila says, Luke, I think maybe you've learned your lesson. I won't prosecute you. George says, congratulations, old pal. You have solved the mystery. Nancy says, yeah, one down, one to go. Let's get on it. To be fair, for use of the cars, she only needed to solve one. The next morning, she finds out that Luke worked on Mr. Honcho's estate all night and even made a confession to him about using his peacocks. Mr. Honcho also thinks he's sorry enough. They have a full day of garden tours. And Nancy says, I'm warning everybody now. Tomorrow I'm going to get up at the crack of dawn. You guys are going to help me search for this freaking window, finally. Mm -hmm. But when they get home, late at night, (gasps) the place was a shambles. Something or somebody had hacked all the walls. It must have been another villain. Sheila Patterson became so hysterical that the girls forgot everything else. The actress alternately laughed and cried and continuously pointed. Laughing and crying, like that thing, that spooks me out. I'm, yeah, I would call the doctor too. Who sedates her for the night? Don't agree with that, but okay. That's the, maybe the best medicine they had the time. Probably not. Probably they were just sexist. Well, it's medicine for woman problems. Mm-hmm. Like having your house hacked up. So while she's sedated, the police come over and they find that the burglar must have gotten through the dining room window, which was smashed. They can't find any other evidence. He must have worn gloves, covered up his footprints, all that. Bess just then screams from the other room. They go running and she says, that horrible burglar mussed up all our clothes. Aww. And my beautiful new slip is gone. Gone. Nancy and George also search their suitcases and find that several new articles of lingerie are missing. The officer says, that's strange burglarizing. Nancy jokes, maybe one of these days, Alonzo Rugby's loving sister will be wearing our brand new lingerie. Bess, I think, has the response I would, ugh. I don't know what's worse, imagining that Alonzo stole the lingerie so that he could have it for his own pleasure, or that his sister stole it to wear it. Yeah. It's never good when your lingerie goes missing. You know what? Underwear stealing should be off the table. In the morning, Sheila is feeling well and in complete control of her emotions. 
She did have insurance on the house. I've got wall insurance. It should be fine. They go on a two-hour search of the house, find nothing. George goes off to wash her hair. It's just too full of dust at this point. Mm -hmm. But on her way to the shower, George finds a big shard of red glass. (gasps) This is proof to everyone that Rugby was there and stole the stained glass window from the house. Unless Nancy has another idea. What if, what if the opposite? So the new plan is to follow Alonzo Rugby after work. So they go to the stained glass studio. Yeah. And Nancy is hoping that he'll stay until after dark because then it will be easier to sneakily follow. So they bring a canoe just in case that's how he leaves. Nancy gets her wish. It is after dark. In fact, it's well after dark. Hours go by. Bess wants to leave. I wouldn't think of it, said George, and Nancy agreed. They happened to overhear Rugby on the phone talking to Sir Greystone. He claims that he does have the window and is talking to Greystone about meeting him for the sell of such window. Oh, I've got the window. Money? Yes, bring lots of money. Isn't this awful? Bess exclaimed in a whisper. So quiet as mice, they follow him to the river, hop in their canoe, follow him, and wouldn't you know it, I know you guys have been missing boat accidents. <laughs> they crash the canoe. Yeah, the river's full of rocks. He definitely knows how to avoid them, but they definitely don't. What luck! George exclaimed in disgust. Her second time soaked in the book. Bess says, this thing is a wreck. We'd better win that reward so we can pay for it. We never find out anything about how that canoe is paid for. Yeah, I thought, I I thought assume, boats were paid for by dads. I assume it had canoe insurance. Didn't dads? Yes, of course. <laughs> Sheila says, I told you peacocks bring bad luck. No one ever had any worse luck than I've had recently. Which is canonically proven to be false, even within this world. Like, yeah, yeah, very false. (laughs) Nancy says, don't worry, he doesn't really have the window. I think he made his own window. Fraudster. The others are amazed. (gasps) Now Nancy finally does what you should always do right away. She goes outside, walks around the house, and examines the architecture. An entire part of a wall is in a different color brick than the rest of the wall. And that happens to be right behind the library. With your permission, Sheila, I'd like to do a little hacking, she says. She does not mean internet hacking. Mm -mm. She means she She's going to take a fire tong to the walls and break through them. She's like, I'll be really careful about it. And then she doesn't grab a careful tool. She grabs a fire tong and just starts bashing it. Now Nancy sees another brick wall. Maybe this is the outside brick wall. Maybe Nancy was wrong. Nancy doesn't think she was wrong. Nancy thinks there's a double brick wall. Sheila hardly dared hope that Nancy was going to make an important discovery. But she says, I must know if you're right. So she lets Nancy take out some bricks. And guess what? There's a window back there. Oh, how thrilling. Nancy's heart was thumping wildly. That's my heart sound. That was a good good heart sound. So now they need to try to go where Alonzo went. Where are we going to find a canoe? George reminds her. And Mr. Honcho. Mr. Honcho, of course. Kindly lets them use his canoe. So they get to the place. They see in the window, the stained glass window, (gasps) the night, the peacock, everything. All of a sudden, there's a rustling in the bushes behind them, and Alonzo and his questioning eyes come out. 
<laughs> I almost didn't think he was a bad guy just because of his react. He's like, what do you guys think of this beautiful window? They say, oh, it's great. I love it. And Alonzo says, oh, come on in. It looks even better from the other direction. Yeah, come on inside. Nancy strongly doubted that this was the old masterpiece. Bess, as if reading her mind, foolishly says it out loud. Is this your creation or an old piece? Her words seemed to act as a signal. Which I love the idea that that was like the signal. Don't jump out and kidnap the kids until they say, is this an old window? Yeah. And who should jump out? (laughs) A heavyset man and Mrs. Dondo. So, you little spy, says Mrs. Dondo. That's a good Dondo. (laughs) Rugby says, cut the chatter. Let's tie these kids up. A fierce struggle followed, but ultimately they were bound, gagged, and put up into the hayloft. By Alfonso, Dondo, and a guy. Nameless man. Nameless man. <laughs> Laughing scornfully, they all leave the barn. To their dismay, they, they try to untie each other, they try to untie themselves, unsuccessful, and outside... They hear, presumably, the only British guy we care about, Sir Greystone. What, what? Hello, I'm Lord Greystone. Are you a window for me? I must get loose and stop rugby, declares Nancy. And conveniently, she finds a scythe in the corner of the barn. And the girls run from the barn to Sir Greystone, who's about to get in the car. And Nancy warns him, that's not the real window. Honestly, she didn't have a leg to stand on. Honestly, they should have just been like, what are you talking about? This girl's crazy. Let's call the police. But instead, Mrs. Dondo yells out, why you little hussy? That's where the turn, that was the turn. Yeah, and this is uh, obviously pretty shocking to Sir Greystone. Why I never, hussy? The the very thought. (laughs) With a panther leap, Mrs. Dondo leaps towards Nancy. To what end, I don't know. Alonzo tries to calm the whole situation down by saying, oh, they're just smart alecky kids. In any story that has villains that are low class, that are trying to trick someone of a high class by pretending to also be of an upper crust, where there's just like barely any provocation and they're immediately like, how dare you? You know what I mean? And it just like falls away immediately. And that's exactly what Miss Dondo did. She didn't have to do anything except be quiet. And she had, and she couldn't. Unfortunately, Nancy Drew plays the Carson Drew card. Yeah, Carson's talked to Grace. He called him up and said that Nancy was searching for the window. And Greystone remembers Carson, also very surprising. Charming fellow, what? And so he says, hmm, I sort of think you might be telling the truth. And the bad guys do the other worst thing you can do and run off. Cheese it. They run. (laughs) I love this moment because the girls run after them to try to catch them. And like... Yeah, they drive after them with Sir Greystone. Yes. Until they drive by a cop car and do like a, a relay race with the cops. But as they're driving after them, I was just like, why? Let them go. Like, you stopped it. Who cares? Which is kind of what they do in the end. They're like, okay, cops, follow these Yeah, you got it. You got it from here. Like, she quickly explains to them what's going on, and that's good enough for them, right? She's just like, Carson Drew's daughter. Bad guys, go. (laughs) Yeah. Nancy now says, I have a surprise for you, Sir Greystone. Haven't I had enough surprises for one day? He says. My heart could hardly handle it. Chuckling. At some point, he stops being Sir Greystone and is now Sir Richard, which honestly confused 
confused me. Like, genuinely, I was like, were there two lords? That's interesting. And then I felt really stupid. I'm like, no, they just started calling him something else. It's a pretty hard sell because she's like, well, we don't have your window, but it might be your window. It's so weird they didn't finish <laughs> uncovering it before they, like, went to see Yeah, him. what was everyone else doing? Like, what were Sheila and Annette doing this whole time? Just hanging out, looking at the bit of a window. Mm-hmm. They, in front of Sir Greystone, take down these bricks, and pretty soon Sir Richard says, Oh, I'm sure this is the genuine window! This is the feet of a peacock! And the feet of a man! Nancy was tingling with happiness. The strange mystery had been solved. Not only that, but Sir Greystone, over some sandwiches, says he will donate to the hospital and pay Sheila for the window. So, no problems. It's all so thrilling, best side. There's even more proof that this is, in fact, the genuine window. When they get back to finish excavating and retrieving this window, they find a little note tucked between the window and the wall. The window. The wall. wall. To the finder of this note, this stained glass window is being covered up to preserve it during the war between the north and the south. Our family has called itself Grace since coming to this country from England in 1849. My father was Sir Henry Greystone. If none of my descendants is living when this window is found, will the finder please notify whoever is then Lord Greystone? Bruce Grace. <laughs> was that civil worry? <laughs> Sure. I feel like he went into southern accent halfway through. He was kind of both, right? <laughs> you know. What a note, right? Like, make sure you make every pertinent piece of information available. Yes. You got the window and you got the provenance. Don't worry. They made a full confession. I mean, they confessed a lot. Then the police brought the fully confessed thieves to Nancy in case, in she, case wanted... she wanted to question them. <laughs> no. Not just her, but like anyone. And mind you, these are not like River Heights police who are familiar Ma'am, with Nancy. Ma'am, we're making the rounds in Charlottesville. Does anyone here want to question these two? We're, we're asking everyone. Nancy, in many ways, regretted that the intriguing mystery was ending and not just beginning. Luckily, within eight months... George says, well, you've even proved that peacocks are above suspicion. And Sheila agrees. Oh my gosh, I was such a fool to think peacocks are bad luck. They're good luck. I just got called by my agent. I have a part in a Broadway play. Yay! After doing a little dance with Annette, Annette says, oh, I'm so happy for us. Well, I know. <laughs> you just became a latchkey kid. Apparently they're going to vacation in Ivy Hall, but the rest of the time they're going to travel. Mr. Bradshaw calls to apologize at the last minute. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I forgot I was in this book. Um, <laughs> s- Sorry I was so weird. I, to Goodbye. Be, to be fair, you were snooping. You were snooping. <laughs> Luckily, within eight months, Nancy had a new mystery. The Haunted Showboat. The Haunted Showboat. I'm excited for a Haunted Showboat. The last book I own from when I got into reading the Nancy Drew series about six years ago. Yeah, we're searching um, antique stores now to try to find more of the books. Fair warning. I think it's the last one I own because I got very fed up with something in it. Namely, I believe racism. Oh, yeah. No, that's, uh, yeah. So I'm interested to find out what past Hope thought was 
too much. Too much racism. Uh-oh. Um, yeah, and I, I think I just want to leave on, on one note that I think is important to say, which is um, Lord Richard Greystone almost has the name as Dick Grayson, who mm-hmm. was Robin in the Batman and Robin comics. Oh! Connections? Oh my! What's that called? I had a lot of those in this book because it's just so generic that it almost like <laughs> begs you to connect it to other things you've seen. And it's just like nothing? Is it apophonia? It's like oh, where I've you connect that. things that aren't necessarily related. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Go, Go Wildcats! we might need to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon (laughs) you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it Instagram at River Heights Radio, Twitter at River Heights FM, River Heights Radio on Facebook, and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours into.